the end of the day, like the cleats are going to come off and what are you going to have to show for it? Are you going to just like think about softball all day, every day? If you do, that's awesome. But there are way more things in life. There's places to experience people to meet, like things to love. And that's the beautiful thing is like, we're doing this because we want to do it. Like, because I love this game, not because I want to be the best there ever was. And like, everyone remember me, would that be cool? Absolutely. But is that going to be my deciding factor of what I gave to the game? Absolutely not. It could never be. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm so excited to have you back here and this week I'm I'm always excited about guests that I get to have on the show, but this is a returning guest, a quick returning guest. And if you listened a few weeks ago, you would know who this returning guest is. Her name is Tori Vidalis. She is back on the show. If you don't remember Tori's interview last time, we talked about how to stand out in the recruiting process, how to have a confident presence, how she believed she was able to set records in college and get to the Olympics. And we talk about her Olympic journey. So she was a two-time All-American at Texas A&M played for Team Mexico in the Olympics in 2021. She is now a SEC network analyst, and she still competes professionally for Athletes Unlimited. She had a stellar, stellar time in college, and I know a lot of you have a lot of questions about recruiting and how to stand out as a player, and if that's you, I'm going to tell you right now, you should probably pause this episode, go back to the last time Tori was on, and then come back to this one. This week, we are giving all the love to first basemen and hitters. Tori and I both competed at first base. She still competes at first base. She wasn't always a first baseman, but now has fallen incredibly in love with it. And when we talk about first base, she doesn't talk about just the mindset of it. We talk also about when should you stretch, what balls to go for on the right side of you, on the left side of you, when should we get off the bag, footwork is huge. So we're giving a ton of love to first baseman. And if your daughter plays first or doesn't, she might have an opportunity to play there at some point in time. And it's really good to know what goes on in the brain of every single one of your teammates. So getting to know first baseman here is massive. So here's your opportunity. From hitting, she talks about feel a lot. So she's not super into drills. She shares, we share a couple drills that her and I like to do, but she's more into feel rather than drills. And you'll get to know why that is and why she has one of the best swings in the game currently. So it's a really unique perspective from her end. 
She also talks about why every hitter should play to their strengths instead of the pitcher's strengths. So she has a really, really confident aura about her. And she talks about how she is so dominant, especially with her confidence aspect in the box, because she believes in herself and she bets on herself. So I love how she talks about this. And if you are a hitter or you have a hitter who maybe struggles a little bit with the confidence aspect, this is a really, really good time to tune in. And lastly, she talks about how she gets out of her own slumps because we've all been in slumps. She doesn't she doesn't run from them. She trucks right through them and talks about how she's able to get out of slumps a lot faster than she used to. So are you ready to get to know Tori a little bit deeper? I'm excited for you to learn from one of the best in the game currently, Tori Vidalis, once again. Let's welcome her to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I told you she would come back, and I didn't realize how fast it would be. But Tori Vidalis is back to talk about first base and hitting today. My cleats are off. I'm rocking the Crocs today. <laughs> so we're, we're in it. We're in it for the long haul. <laughs> yes. I'm kind of glad you mentioned that because I hope that the title, it truly, it doesn't mean like when you retire, what happens next? Right. A lot of people think that's what it is. No, it's when the cleats are off, how are you setting yourself up for success outside the white lines? Yeah. How are you working on your mental game? How are you learning more about the game? And so, even more important, like who are you without the ball? Who are exactly. you without the white lines? Like that's, I think that's how I interpret it. And I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. And we, we dove into that last time. We talked a little bit about like having an identity other than just softball. Mm-hmm. It helps with probably your just longevity in the game. Because if you're eat, breathe, live only softball, it's boring. Yeah. I mean, unless you know? you're like someone like Sam Fisher who lives and <laughs> dies softball. That's true. I think it's important to have something that you care about, like outside of the game, whether it be like a person, a, a hobby, a place, just yeah. like, give you that refresh of like, Oh my gosh, I, I love this game a lot because mm-hmm. you know what they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder. And I think that's true. Exactly. And Sam has a dog, so it's not like she has no Reggie. <laughs> life outside of softball. No, but yes, the, Sam she does. is like great at like, she has so many contacts within the softball world. And it seems like every time I check in with her or cause her and I are on the, the player executive committee for AU together as well. She's mm-hmm. always like getting front toss with somebody because she lives near Arizona State. So she'll be there like getting front toss, getting BP, hanging out with Chitty. Like, you know, she's always just in softball. And I love that for her because that's what makes her heart smile. So yeah, more power to you, girl. Exactly. She does her thing does. and we love her for it. She's been on the podcast before. She talked about hitting too. Oh, so I just love getting different perspectives from different people like mm-hmm. because your hitting approach is probably different than Sam's oh as, like Sam always talks about the rise ball yeah, I mean <laughs> but that's the thing is we have so many people that you know play pro are successful in college and everybody's swing is different and every mm-hmm. like cue that they give themselves is different so why not like listen and learn from multiple people and find the one that works the best for you you know you could be cheating yourself out of some really great hits or really great mentality if you're only listening to one person, you got to diversify, find what works for you. And then you put it into action. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the thing too. It's like, you know, when people listen, like I hope that people can resonate with each hitter, like in certain ways, but like not all of them, because you're building, like you said, like your own swing and your own identity. So picking just a little bit from each of the greats 
you know, can make you the great that, that makes you stand out. Yeah. And it doesn't so, have to be anything that you copy either. It could be something that I say that triggers like, Oh, that I didn't think about it that way. What if I tried to do it this way? And then mm-hmm. boom, it just clicks. It's my favorite part. It's like, everyone is so different that that what is what makes us good. Yeah. I love it here. Okay. So we will get to hitting, but I promised first baseman they would get some love too. And so you played third and first, but Mm -hmm. I have a feeling you just really love first base. (laughs) Like you, you always look like you're having a ball out there. Yeah. I mean, so the journey to first base was actually very long. Um, First base was the only position on the field other than like catcher that I did not play growing up. I was raised as a shortstop. And I know everyone says that I'm a shortstop. I like to say that I was raised as a shortstop, but in reality, I was raised as an athlete. Like we wanted to be able to play any position, help the team out in any way that we could. I actually was going through pictures. They're right beside me here and it would take me too long to find it. But there was a picture of my very first select ball team or my travel team. People always make fun of me because I say select. I'm from Texas. That's what we do. But of me in the outfield. And I remember I was the youngest one on the team. I was the smallest, but I was also the fastest. I know a lot of things have changed since then, but I was a center fielder and they stuck me out there because, you know, they thought, oh, well, you know, we won't need her. Like no one's really going to hit the ball out there. And, you know, we'll just, it'll be easy. Like it'll be fine. Well, turns out a lot of balls actually ended up coming out there and I caught every single one of them. And my mom said, you were just like running around like all of the grass and catching everything you could. You never let anything touch the ground. And that was like truly the first like time I felt really like, oh my gosh, I could do this for a long time. This is so much fun. And then as I grew up, you know, I played mostly shortstop, but I played for Impact Gold in in high school for my travel team. And we would do this thing in the fall where we would switch. So we would rotate every two innings. The first baseman would stay um, because it's a very specialized position, but third, short, and second would all just rotate in a circle. So every game you would play third, second, and short. And so that was a way to kind of just like get our juices flowing. Like, okay, what do we do in this situation? And we're constantly having to work our minds because this was kind of when the, the um, exposure tournaments were coming out and like people were like, oh, well, we don't have to win. I just have to play well. But we really were focused on like, we didn't really care about winning. We, we focused on how do we make every single game and use it to our advantage we can switch positions, make our brains think a little bit harder. And I really do think that that gave us a better IQ in the softball world because now you know what everybody's doing and that allows you to have more communication within that infield. And so um, we talked a little bit about college and coach Evans last time on part one. And whenever I committed, you know, I was having these conversations with my uh, select coach with coach Evans and like, you know, they were speaking of course and saying, where do you see her in your lineup? Like, where do you see her on the field? Should we be training for something specific? And she said, you know, I really see her being a a great asset for us at third base. And I'm like, boom, sign sealed delivered. Like it was never a, but I want to play shortstop or I want to play second base. Like I want to play this position. My thing going in was I want to play 
I want to start and I want to make an impact, whether that be on the field or off the field. And I knew that that was going to be my goal. So she said third base. I said, coach, it's done. I'm I'm a third baseman now. Like I will tell everyone <laughs> I am a third baseman. Yeah. So I played there my first year. Third, third was like a comfortable position for me, but it wasn't something that I was like, I'm the best third baseman in this nation. You know, like I wasn't like, nobody's bunting on me. Nobody's, you know, so I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I was athletic, but I didn't feel like it was my true calling. Mm-hmm. And so I did play there one year, you know, come back, expect to kind of like fall back into that starting spot at third base. And we get to fall practice. We had a great freshman class that came in. And one of those freshmen was Riley Sarton. Mm. Had a baby, by the way. Love her. All my way <laughs> Riley and Noah and baby Reese. But so um, pumped for them. Me too. And uh, so she came in, and let me tell you, Riley is one of like the greatest defenders I've ever had the pleasure of like playing with or watching. Just so smooth, great footwork, you know, all of these things. And it started to look like, you know, she was going to be our starting third baseman. And I never once was like, oh my gosh, she's going to start at third. Where am I going to play? Like, I can't even remember a moment that that happened because I had a conversation with coach Evans and she said, you know, on top of third, let's, well, our, we have a spot open at first. Like, let's work you in over there and see how you do. And so you can learn it a little bit, learn the nuances, learn footwork. And I'm like, okay, like no problem. So I'm doing both. I'm doing double time in practice. I'm like running and a girl was tired. That was a lot of cardio. Imagine bunts, practicing bunts. I know the outfielders are dying normally, but like as a first baseman, I'm literally just running up, running back, up, running up, running back because no one ever bunts to us in the bunting drills. It's like they have to be mm-hmm. very strategic about where they place that bunt and unless they're very strategic, it normally doesn't go to me. So I'm just doing wind sprints the whole time. Yeah. Back I, had, I get that. And then girlfriend. you got to go back around the third base and you got to run up, you got to run back. I was like, girl, I am tired. That's probably why I was in such good shape. But anyways, um, so the time comes, we get a little bit closer and coach Evan says, you know, I, I really think the best thing for our team would be for Riley to play third base and for you to slide over to first base. Like, how do you feel about that? And I said, coach, I'm here literally to, to make us better. I want to go to the world series. I want to win a national championship. I want to do all of these things. I'm in like, it didn't take much convincing nothing. And the more and more that I practice over there and I had a lot of help from my teammates at the time who had been playing first, you know, Bree Dozier was one that helped me a ton of just, you know, footwork, finding the right timing of releasing and um, keeping your eye on the field, but also knowing exactly how far you are from the base. And there's all these little things that people don't notice. But I will say the number one thing I learned about first base was people don't notice you doing your job until you don't do it right. Yeah. Because you, this, the shortstop could make this diving play on their knees, like sidearm and, it hits the dirt, but if you catch it, everyone's like, Oh my God, sports center, top 10, all of these things. But if you miss that ball, it's like, ah, so Mm -hmm. close. Like it took away from what they did. So like at the end of the day, the first baseman truly is the difference. If they have a shot at catching that ball, of course, but we are the difference between a top 10 play and just a play that could have been. Mm -hmm. And it's like a catcher. 
You're not expected yes. to get love. First base and catcher too. Cause like the first baseman is technically the catcher of the outfield. Mm-hmm. And those are the two positions that I feel really don't ever get as much love as they should, because it's such a demanding job, but it's not very rewarding in the sense of like people praising you and people being like, Oh my gosh, she's such a good first baseman. So anyways, back to getting over to first base. So I ended up playing first base. The one thing I will say about first is I feel like people kind of put me in this box once I went to first base and they said, oh, well, she can only play first base. Right. And um, as someone who grew up, like being very agile, like as I got older, I wasn't fast by any means, but I was very agile and quick side to side, whereas first base is more front to back. And so... I felt like I was almost wasting a little bit of my athleticism because I was more steady in the position that I was in of like, Mm -hmm. I'm only two or three steps away from the base. My only job really is to make my other infielders look good. And that was what I was concerned with. And so I, I didn't get as much chance to, to, you know, make the diving plays, make the, the snags down the line, because there are those opportunities at first, but they're very far and few in between. So you have a less, Mm -hmm. you have a smaller room for error because you only get maybe one, two balls like every weekend in college, or at least that's what it seems like. There will always be that one game where you get like six or seven and you're like, what is happening? But yeah, so I moved over to first and ever since then, like I've been there every single day and I actually got to play a little bit of right field, show off my skills in AU, but yeah, it's, I, I love first base. I love that I'm categorized as that. And I wish more people knew how much work it was to make everyone look good. Yeah. So I had a very similar experience. I was like the shortstop growing up. I played a ton of outfield and travel ball and I've shared this before, but I was asked to be our second baseman my freshman year. Mm. And I'm like, wow, that's new. So kind of like you, I'm like, okay, like I will. And I was actually doing the same thing as you. I was doing outfield and second base. And you know how like when the outfield has off, that's when the infield works. Girl didn't get a break. So like, I feel you on that one. And second is just running back and forth. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. But um, so I played that for two years and then I was shifted to first in my junior year. Mm. And like you, I had no real experience at first. Yeah. I think I played it once in travel ball. And like you, I was I was raised an athlete. I was raised to chase down balls and go all out and dive and everything. Um, so I, I really understand that to a T. But I did realize, you know, that winter, between like between my sophomore and junior year, I spent so much time at first, and it took a lot of work in order to like look okay at first, like it takes way more work than people think. And even if you are the star athlete and you're moved to first, it is a whole nother ball game. It is. Like the pressure of like, if you drop it, oh, like that could be the difference between the game and in your, in your, you know, even fielding the bunt and having to turn your body fully to first and like make the throw. You're not used to that. Yeah. Like, and people think it's like one of those positions that's not very athletic, but to yeah. make first base look easy you have to have so much coordination because your feet are moving so often in such a small like area where, you know, shortstop and second base, they have pretty much the whole backside 
of the field of the infield but as like a first baseman you can't get too far away from your base so you're kind of like stuck in this one spot and you have to like make it look all nice with your with your uh, your feet yeah your but footwork has you to be on point when yeah. someone is just like a hitter and they want their bat in the lineup and they just throw them in at first and you know yeah. what gets me is when they put them at first base without a first baseman that's what yeah. gets me because I'm like you're not doing justice to this position would you go catch with a regular glove no no you would never break your that. hand and it's like it makes me so mad and I know there's some situations where like you know there's injuries and someone doesn't have a first baseman or like maybe they're not there and I get that but like if you're at first base for an extended period of time and you're using a freaking 12 and 12 glove or 11 and three quarter glove at first base I can't. Next. We got You're going to miss everything. How did you feel when you got your first first basement? (laughs) (laughs) Because I remember I was like, I can catch anything. Like I was running around. I had it on my head. I'm like, oh my God, guys, I'm never missing a ball. Like my head fits (laughs) inside my glove. Going from, I think I used 11 and a quarter when I was at that third base. Very tiny. All the way to a 13 inch. So I felt like I had flipper on my hand. <laughs> like I was just swatting the ball and it's almost so heavy that your shoulder gets sore because yeah, yeah. from that light glove, um, the very aerodynamic, your hand, <laughs> your hand is working so much harder. Your hand is having to squeeze. So I've always done two in the pinky and like, it makes it a lot easier for me. So you hold it like yeah. this way. I, I hold it like this. So like, so, so you were pinky. What I do there. is I do like this instead of having one in the pinky where your finger, like this is going to be the most squeeze. I just mm-hmm. move these together and then this shifts over. So there's like a hole right here. Yeah. For people that are like freaking out. Cause you can't see your hand. If you go to YouTube and you're really concerned about this, like, or want to see it, you can go to YouTube and watch this. Um, but actually now that I think about it, I like almost broke my hand my junior year, my thumb, which is why I had to shift. And Uh I ended up closing more with like four fingers. It obviously took some adjusting. But before we go too far into gloves, um, but (laughs) we love having these massive gloves because we can scoop things. But the problem is adjusting to the glove takes some work, right? Like having to figure out like what's your pocket? How are you going to you know, pick up that short hop. Mm. I kind of want to get into the details of first and like the intricacies that that nobody talks about. For sure. Um, First one being stretching. Mm. Okay. So you wear your glove on your left hand, correct? Yes. Okay. So do you put your, when you turn towards the infield, is your right ball of your foot on the corner of first base? Yes. So I think the first thing that I always am aware of when I'm at first is how far I am away from the bag, because that's going to dictate, you know, when I need to release and how much time I have to get back to the base when there's like a slapper up or compared to a power hitter, you're going to be playing a little bit further back. Um, So knowing where I'm at and then whenever the ball is hit and I know that's not hit to me, I'm releasing towards the field to Mm -hmm. kind of like scan the field where the ball's going, what position I think that they're going to end up in. Cause softball is just a lot of um, anticipation of like, okay, what is this ball doing? If it's spinning this way and it's going this way, where is it going to take my defender? So say it's taking, you know, shortstop deep in the five, six hole. 
And I know that they're going to have to make a backhand play and probably throw the ball on the ground to get it there faster. And this is a pro tip. Mm-hmm. If you're first baseman and you see a ball going deep, deep in a hole away from you, always like talk to your, you know, second baseman shortstop and be like, when that happens, throw the ball in the dirt because as mm-hmm. a first baseman, that's your job one to pick the ball, but two, the ball gets to you faster on the ground than it does in the air because it has something to kind of roll off of uh, compared to a ball, just like flying through the air. It's a lot slower. So when they throw that ball on the ground, I always make sure. So if the, if the base that's facing second base is right here, um, I'm going to have my, the ball of my foot, my right foot back on the base, depending on where the ball is at is where my foot goes. Mm. So if I know that the third baseman is a little bit more up towards the plate, I will put my front or my, my toe, my ball of my foot on more, more the front side of the bag. So it would be like closer to the corner that's pointing at third. Whereas if it was a ball that was deep in the, in the three, four hole and my second baseman made a a diving stop and is going to throw it, I'm going to be all the way faced at her and my foot is going to be on the back side of that same angle of the base and I'm going to be facing her. So you want to just put yourself in the best position of where the ball is and where the defender is because mm-hmm. if you're in the same place that you would be for a 5-6 hole ball and a 3-4 hole ball then that could be the difference in safer out because you can lose a foot. Yeah. You lose yeah. so much. It's like basically the way people say, like you hit the front part of the bag when you're running through first compared to the back mm-hmm. side. you're losing those tiny little milliseconds that really do end up being game changer in a safer out call. And it could cost you the game. Yeah, totally. Okay. So I'm glad you mentioned when you turn, you always try to turn towards the field. Yes. Um, I think that's something that's not really that, it's not taught that much. And I think, and that's obviously important. Cause like you said, you still have like your, your eyes aren't set on a certain point, but you can still kind of have an idea what's going on from the corner of your eye. If you turn towards the field. Yeah. And I think a lot of people also, sorry to interrupt, but, um, another people, people always say like, keep your eye on the field at all times, but I'm going to say this. And I want people to take, take it with a grain of salt. Okay. So when you do turn, it's important that you turn towards the field. So you get a view of what's happening, but also it is okay to take your eye off of like the play that's happening for mm-hmm. like a quick millisecond to make sure your foot to find the corner is right yeah. on the base. And I know so many people are like, Oh, I can't take my eye off the ball, but then you're standing and you're kind of like trying to search for the bag with your back foot. And you never want to be in a situation where the ball is in your hand and your foot's not on the bag, like purposely, like a good throw. So Mm -hmm. what I do is the ball's hit. I'm turning, evaluating where the play is, which way is the ball taking people. And immediately my eyes are going down to the bag to Mm -hmm. find which part of the bag I'm going to be on. And Honestly, if it's like a quick play, I'm just trying to find the bag. Like, I don't care where my foot's at as long as it's on the corner or that edge. And immediately, as soon as I see it, I get my foot in position and I'm like in an athletic stance waiting for the ball so that I can adjust any way I need to. And that's where that corner comes in handy again, because say your third baseman is really, really far back. So I'm going to be on that front part of the base pointing towards third base. 
and say she makes a throw that's way wide, right? I mean, I have to move my foot back. So the in play adjustments that you can make with your footing is very important as well. So if I start, I'm going to try to do this with my <laughs> For those of you listening, I'm so sorry. Um, okay, so your right foot is back on the bag, right? Your third baseman yeah. throws something wide over here. So back towards right field. Immediately, I'm going to try to switch my feet and almost square up to my third baseman and go up or go to the side. If it's more out this way, you want to keep that right foot on the bag because you can get a further stretch. But if it's something that's like higher or anything like that, I try to go up on my left foot and reach with my right arm. I mean, my left arm, excuse me. Forgot which hand I throw. So you push, hang on, you push with your right foot and then reach with your left? So I, like if there's a ball that's high, I always come back to center, not me trying to get up and do a demo. Um, <laughs> so I should see this, right? <laughs> I um, I come back to the base, so I have both feet on the base, and really yes. whatever foot is most comfortable for you. But I always tend to go up on my left, so my right foot is coming up in the air. And if you're catching, it would be the opposite. interesting. So if okay, I did the I did the, I did the opposite. Like if if there was a high ball coming, because my right foot's already on the bag, you just go. Up. I would try to find more of the top of it because it's more springy there. Mm. But then I would have I would push down with my right and then reach with my left because I felt like I could get on my tiptoes and get further. But honestly, it's, it might be the exact same. I don't know. I think I do both. I think it just depends. But it is yeah, okay to everything move. depends on yeah. That's the key is like it's okay to move during a play to put yourself in a good position. So I think that's a good thing to like learn is like, okay, how, how far can I stretch with this leg out? And like, where does my arm go when I do this? Or like, if there's a high throw, like what does my body tend to do? And that way you have a better understanding of like, okay, how do I get myself in the right position and the right timing and the right stretch or length of your body to get to that ball? Yeah. I would encourage coaches, especially listening, like have your first baseman play around with it, especially if they're new, like have them try different things. Like Tori and I do two different things on that one play, mm-hmm. but they work for us because we're comfortable there. Yeah, I think where people get stuck is they don't they don't practice all of the X Y Z plays. Like Sis Bates doesn't make these diving plays without having practiced it oh, or trying 100%. it out. So um, must have been fun receiving her a few times in AU. Oh yeah, she always Did. gives me like the like perfect little short hop, and I'm like, yeah. yes, but she bounces a ton of balls to first, like. Yeah. And like I said, the balls get there faster sometimes. Like, and the they're ground. probably easier to read for you too. Yeah, if they're hitting the ground early like enough, spin off of her ball. So that's the thing as like a first baseman is you're always watching and always like observing. And that's one of the things for me is that I'm always watching and figuring out is like, what do these players arms do in different situations? And how mm-hmm. does that affect their spin on the ball? Right. So sis doesn't have like, this crazy strong arm, but she's very accurate. So she's going to throw like even out of a sidearm, she has a very true spin. So I know that when it comes out, it's going to be very true. And wherever it's bouncing, it's going to bounce and do like a forward spin. So I know that as soon as that ball hits on the short hop, I can just pick it just like this and it's not going to pop out of my glove. So I don't have to do anything extra to like try mm-hmm. to keep that ball in, but different players. Like I remember at a we would do this drill that was really fun for everyone else. And it was really hard for me because it was a lot of thinking is 
coach Evans would just throw balls on the infield, like everywhere, just literally have a heyday, throw it everywhere. And each player takes turns and it's like the whole entire team. It's not just the infield. And they're just going up to the ball, basically doing like a three-step approach and then grabbing the ball and just like as fast as they can throwing it. So it could be a good throw. It could be a bad throw. It could be like a wide throw, a wobbly throw, whatever you want it to be. And not only is it fun for like the girls that aren't receiving, but for me, that's like the only one-on-one time that I get as a first baseman with the whole team contributing to that drill that's specific for me. So I love that one because you get to see different people's arm angles and like when they're joking around, it's going to be a little bit more chaotic than it would normally be in a game. But I think that actually helps because you can see what's it like when they try to throw it like into the ground, they try to spike it or when they're like trying to throw sidearm, what does that do with their ball? And it is a lot of thinking and a lot of cardio because you're there. And as soon as you get to your position, you release and then they're going to do their three step and you're catching it and you're going back. So it's like over and over and over again. And we did, I think like two or three buckets of ball. Mm. So I just got to see all types of arm angles and spin and break and all of these cool things. That's a really cool drill. And thank you for mentioning how every, every defender is going to have a different release point, different type of throw. I remember I had a third baseman, her ball tailed towards the line. Mm. Um, so I used to stretch out and then her ball would like continue to go towards, and then I'd find myself reaching. (sighs) Yeah. So there was actually a time where I had to get off the bag to catch it. So I wouldn't break my arm off and then tag the runner. Mm. I don't know how I did that, but yeah, her balls just sailed towards hers. And I will say, I definitely had to have a conversation with her about it because it was getting to the point where like, there's a risk here for my arm, (laughs) but that's where we kind of both agreed like, Hey, start your ball more left. So when it tails towards the first baseline, it's more centered. And then I could actually time my stretch so that I'm at a full stretch when I need to be. So that's, that's the next question I want to ask you. When should you start your stretch? Because I know so many first basemen, they start their stretch early, just like I was mentioning. And then you find yourself not being able to extend towards the ball because it's tailing or it's falling to the ground. So like, when do you start your stretch? Can you give us a ballpark for that? Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up because there's a few things like I want to incorporate with this as well uh, that you mentioned, but so stretching is essential to first base, of course, but stretching the right way will 100% improve the way you look and the way you perform at first base. So Mm -hmm. um, like we were talking about with the throws, you have to like see the throw before you stretch. So you have to see the throw and see where that ball is going to be. It's almost like if you were hitting, when is your front foot going to be down, right? You would hope it's down like as before you turn (laughs) as the pitch is coming and your heel, your front heel should go down about halfway. Like as you're transferring that weight should go down about when that ball has halfway home. And that's where you kind of know like, okay, my swings there, I'm on time. I'm on plane. It's the same thing with receiving. So if you stretch out for a ball that you don't read the spin on, or if you're just kind of like in, not in the right position and say that ball takes like a nice little stream of whatever it has on it and jumps up and you're already stretching out towards the ball. It's so hard to go out and then go up to try to find that Mm -hmm. ball. So 
what I do is this was a trick I learned when we did like visual things in college. We worked with this company and they came in and they taught us about vision and how to like trick your brain. So I like to do this when I can't see the ball very well. I stare at their middle of their forehead because they're releasing right here. It's easier for your brain to pick up the seams a little bit faster because you're not focused on the ball the whole time. So it's almost like if you stare for so long, you know how things get a little blurry, your, your eyes start to cross. Obviously it's a little yeah. exaggerated, but you stare at the, the center of their forehead and right as they go to release, you switch your vision to the ball. So it's almost okay. giving your, your eyes like a jolt of energy to see just a little bit better to recognize that spin a little bit earlier. And, um, I started like stretching weird whenever I first started, because I thought that I had to go get the ball when in reality, I'm letting the ball come to me and meeting it at our like perfect point. So your stretch, first of all, should be with one hand. Don't ever stretch with two hands because you're taking away length from your shoulder and from your arm and your ball getting, or the glove getting to the ball. And the second thing is don't stretch until the ball's halfway to you. So you should be able to identify where that ball's going and where it's at. And if you're in the right position for it. So when you stretch, you should go up and like back to your point about like balls going into the, or up the line. It's so important as a first baseman to know when, when you can finish that play successfully and when you're going to get hurt. And I do mm -hmm. think that it is important that we start the conversation about the safety bag everywhere, yeah. softball all year, yeah. everything, because it is so dangerous um, for girls, especially that aren't as developed and that don't have that level of IQ in the game yet to know, like, can I catch this and tag her and get my arm out of the way? Or am I going to blow out my UCL right here? So as a first baseman, like you mentioned, your third baseman was throwing the ball up the line. Well, uh, Riley would sometimes do that to me. And I'm like, hey, if I let this ball go, it's because I'm going to get hurt. And we all knew that if I let that ball go, like it could be the national championship game, but I'm not, it's not worth someone getting hurt to make this play when I can let this go. If everyone's in the right spot for their backups like I would much rather do that than hurt myself. And I think everyone should realize like it is up to you to make that decision, literally bang, bang decision to realize, okay, where's the runner? Where's the ball? Do I have time? Like if, is she far enough away that I can catch this ball, bring my arm in close to my body? Cause if your arm is straight out like this, they run into your arm, you're done. Yeah. Done for. So you want to ideally, if it's far enough off, like up the line, I like to kind of pull my body closer to the ball up the line off the bag. The bag no longer matters. I'm trying to catch the ball, bring my arm in a little bit closer to my body. So I have more support and make the tag preferably with two hands. If yeah. you have time, if not, one is fine. So you're making the catch in fair territory. Yes. So like, so you're stopping it before it hits that line, basically. Yes, because the then you're making the tag. It travel, the more inclined an accident is to happen. You're going to collide. They're yep. coming at you, and you're going into their path. They can't stop yeah. on a dime. So I know. Yeah. You have to so, be able to maneuver your body to keep yourself safe. 
And if yes. there is a situation where you feel like that ball, that ball is going to take you too far up the line or too far out, like into their path, just let it go. Your right fielder mm-hmm. should be in position. It is not worth like risking surgery for a UCL that's out of place. All the PT that comes with that, it is just not worth an injury of any kind. Absolutely. And we'll reiterate one more time about the safety bag. Like there's a reason why it's being adopted. Is it in 2023 for college or are they still debating? We hope. I'm not sure they made an official decision. Because I I thought like it looked like Texas or somebody added the bag. Somebody added it. Mm. I don't know. But it's only going to help. Like (laughs) they have it in. Yeah. And they have it in. Um. I, I can't think of the word in um, not pro ball, but international. universal international ball. Yes. They have it in international. They've had it in international yeah. forever. It needs to start being adopted. It should. It definitely should yeah. save a lot of, of injuries. It would save just a lot of like unnecessary things that could happen from happening. Yeah. I think it teaches you at a young age, like where your running lane is as well. So if mm-hmm. you're a hitter and you're staying on that outside lane, then you're not going to run into fair territory and like run into somebody, you know, there's yeah. weird like accidents that can happen in softball that can be avoidable, but sometimes, you know, it just, it is what it is. It's an athlete yeah. sport. And I've been it, accidentally stepped on multiple times on my heel, oof. even, even while being on the corner, like. I didn't have to learn the hard way. My coach told me from the beginning, like, you're only touching the corner. You're only touching the corner. And I always touch the corner. And sometimes I still got stepped on because I'd have maybe a slapper that, like, is, like, they go so far up the line, like, towards the pitcher that, like, their line is now my heel. And I was intentionally stepped on once, but that's a whole other story. Oh, no. We were having some words if I got intentionally stepped on. Oh, I will tell you that was an intense game. But that thing was Yeah, it did not end there. So fast that, like, that happened to me in Super Regionals 2017 at Tennessee. And I remember Maddie Shipman was the first base coach. Mm. Did she just step on your foot? And I was like, yeah, like, it's fine. It's just a slapper. She's like, I'll make sure that doesn't happen again. And I was like, yeah, take care of me then, Maddie. She See, take care of the games. I'm like, hey, that's my girl. <laughs> yeah, you call games together. Um, no, that's, that's a really good point. One thing that I know a lot of first basemen struggle with, which I did at first, pun intended, was <laughs> trying to decide how far right I could go. So knowing the range of my second baseman. Oh yeah. That took a lot of practicing and adjusting. Which balls can I go for? Which balls can't I go for? I remember specifically like hard, hard hits that are like in that three, four hole that like neither of us like it's gonna be tough for either of us to get to. I would always at least try to dive for. But like obviously I need to make sure I don't dive for something that my second baseman easily gets to and I can't get back and make the catch. So did you do any drills regarding that? How did you develop that? Because I think that's like a big one. And we'll end with this with first base that a lot of first basemen, especially early on, struggle with. Yeah, I think the best thing is just learning your your teammate. You know, like make sure you're doing range balls to see what their range is. Like how often are they getting to this ball? How often and I am I getting pulled off of the base? And I mean, a lot of times it's just realizing like what your range is as a defender. Like I know that if my forehand is not as strong as my backhand, I'm going to stay a little bit closer to the line and vice Mm -hmm. versa. Like if you have a better forehand and good reaction time to your left, 
then maybe you can play a little bit more off the line. Personally, I don't like to play too far from the line because you never know when that ball down the line, like obviously there's no way for you to even catch it, but at least I can give myself a little bit more of a, a head start on those balls down the line. But um, for me, like as a first baseman, my rule is like if I take two steps and I'm not close or I know that I would have to make an extra effort to go get it, then I'm just going to let my second baseman have it because I don't want to put myself out of position by trying to go for a ball that for me would be a, a spectacular play compared to a second baseman just being a routine ground ball. Standing up, right. And so one, it saves time because now I'm not diving on the floor. I can get back to my base and it can be an easy, simple, we're out of the inning, whatever type play, or it could be me diving to make this catch it going off my glove, which you don't plan for that to happen, but sometimes it does. Or me on my belly ball in my glove. No one at first or like second baseman's too late to get to first. Cause not only do you have to dive, you have to get up off of your knees, turn your body back behind you. So it makes it way more complicated as a first baseman to be diving. Now that's not to say you can't ever dive, but like if there's a ball in the air, like a line drive, go for it, lay out. Why not? Like, I mean, somebody will be there hopefully, but I do love what they do in baseball. I wish we had enough time for it is that if a first baseman gets pulled, the pitcher will also come for backup. Right. Yeah. Our game's just too fast. Yeah. It's fast. And I wish so bad if there was one thing we would teach, it would be that, but it just wouldn't work. So my advice would be to stay on your feet and let your second baseman be the one that's, you know, making the play in the three, four hole, because you still have a job to do. Your job is not completed after the ball gets hit. Yours is after they make the play and throw the ball. So yeah, you're the very, you're like the outfield, right? You're the last line of defense. I'm like pretty much the last line of defense to get that out. If the ball's on the ground. Right. I remember our coach used to just like, we'd have our second baseman and then us, and then we, she'd have us start in different positions. Like she'd have, you know, first base start a little bit off the line yep. And because, you know, when second base maybe is covering a steal, they're more up, they're more towards second. Um, So just trying different scenarios, hitting a bunch of balls between you, even hitting them down the line just to keep, like, keep you on your toes. Like, I think it just requires a lot of reps there, which frankly, we don't get a whole lot of them between us. So a lot of reps between second and first. And also, if there's time to have communication, like be loud. Yeah, be very loud. Um, Cause some, occasionally you'll get like a slapper that's putting something like sh- kind of choppy oh, towards yeah. second that you're like, you can easily get to. Yep. And again, it takes practice and time, but like you have to realize how one. far away is your second baseman? Like, should they cover first? Like, and if that's the case, how are you going to let them know that you're getting it? Yep. And that, that needs to be practiced with that second baseman. That's why it's so important to like in practice, go over these things. Like, you're doing range balls, you're doing positioning, you're doing um, slappers and power hitters, you're doing gap-to-gap hitters, you're doing first and thirds, you're doing uh, runner on first and a slapper up to bat. Like, you know, you're running through all of these scenarios that when you get in the game, you already know what you have to do. You just mm-hmm. have to do it probably a little bit quicker than you have to do it in practice. <laughs> okay, so essentially always checking in to see where your second baseman is playing. Always. There should be like constant, even at AU, like, Every week it switches, but every single time I, that I have a second baseman, like I'm like, hey, I'm going to continuously let you know where I'm at, if I'm back, if I'm up, if I'm off. If you need me to give you some because you're covering second base, like 
just let me know where you're at and we can position ourselves with each other instead of against each other, giving them a huge gap mm-hmm. and, or just like, you know, giving them the line because they never hit it down the line. Let's shade over a little bit to our right and prevent them from getting that hit in the three, four hole or up the line. Yeah. I mean, up the middle. Sorry. Yeah, totally. All right. I feel like we covered everything for space. I love it. Other than bunting, but like bunting is, it's like one of those where you just have to see it all the time. Yeah. Like you see it and you get there or you don't. <laughs> right. I mean, you can literally stare at the angle of the bat. Like you had to learn that at third too. I'm sure it's like, yeah. and, and that's the thing. You don't get a ton of bunts to you, but like yeah. getting good at the first step means seeing it early. So yeah, and like slappers, sometimes it's not even the bat angle. It's just looking at the way that they're like holding themselves. Like, you know, they're trying to be sneaky by bunting. Yeah. But they're like changing the way that they're like stepping in the box. So they're changing the way that their feet are, or like you can just tell, or they look at you. Or sometimes, they're staring at you. Yeah. Sometimes Check slappers their eyes will, out. Like, try to sneak in a little eye look. And I'm I'm always looking them dead in the eye. So I'm like, I'm looking where you're looking. And if you're looking yeah. at me, I'm looking at you. It's like the little <laughs> Spider-Man meme again. Cause it's like, you're bunting? Who's bunting? Mm-hmm. You're bunting and I'm about to get you out. <laughs> yes. I love being underestimated at first. When totally. people bunt, you're just like, yeah, you don't even know. But yeah, try it again. Try it again. Yeah. And I think for like a slapper, a lefty too, like I think I started maybe one and a half steps forward, like nothing crazy, but I wanted to yeah. give myself at least one step because obviously they're fast and you still have to get back. So knowing yeah, your range. The last thing you want is a foot big. race between the slapper <laughs> and you. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Anything else we got to hit on with first? Are we ready to go to hitting? <sighs> Just make your infielders look good. That's the end of the the end goal at the end of the day. And people will know if you're not doing your job. And please catch with one hand. Preferably yeah. with the first baseman. Make them look good. You won't get good at picking balls. You won't get good at stretching unless you practice it. So we should devote, especially if you're new to this, 10 minutes of practice at least. Mm-hmm. Just just work on it. I remember my coach would literally just toss me balls and I would work on my stretch every single time. And there'd be some where I'd catch it and then I'd finish my stretch and be like, okay, I need to stretch sooner. It's like, you just get used to it over time. And please, for the love of all things amazing, don't feel like you have to do the splits on every. No, I accidentally did it once. The only time you should be doing splits on a stretch is like if the ball is on the (laughs) ground, like so low, because that's the only way you can get out there and be that low. Like if the ball is at your chest, there's no point of doing the splits. I hate people that do the splits and they like, they catch it three steps early and you're like, why? I'm like, we're not like one, it has to be a close play Two, it has to be low Two, don't stretch into the splits. If if the ball is mid height, like let's just be reasonable. Yeah. I remember one time I did catch on mid height, but we were playing and it was like soaking wet on the field and and my cleat just kept going but it was it was an extremely close play, so I was trying to gain as much ground as I could towards the the ball. And that girl, like if you look at the replay, she was clearly safe. But they called her out, and I'm like, it was the effort. It was the go. effort. That's why she was called out. I was like, okay. And nobody <laughs> argued it either. They're like, that yeah. looked like it hurt, and I'm like, it did. <laughs> um, but, but sometimes you just got to go all out. 
if you haven't noticed, fall is here, which means winter is even closer. And we just added a few warm things to our empowerment gear, which is the gear that we have for the podcast and Ashley Burkhart training. Not joking, as soon as I'm done recording this, I'm going to head there and purchase for myself a crew neck. Um, which we've never had before. And this was Haley Cole. Shout out to Haley Cole. She used to work for us. Um, She was like, Ashley, you need a crew neck. So we actually have a When the Cleats Come Off logo times the ABT Swing logo on the front of the crew neck, which is perfect for this cozy season we are headed into. So I'm going to get myself an extra large and cozy up this winter. If you are interested in adding some softball or When the Cleats Come Off gear to your wardrobe, go ahead and head to www.ashleybtraining.com. Click on the tab in empowerment gear. And when you check out, make sure to put in the, the very end when you check out, type in podcast 10, that's one zero, P-O-D-C-A-S-T one zero at checkout and you'll get 10% off your order. And if you want to go back in later and get more, you can still use that code. I just want to thank you so much for being incredible listeners of the show. And I'm excited to give you this gear so you can, you know, rock something that you enjoy. The moment we've all been waiting for, hitting. Your baby. I asked you last time if you like defense or hitting more. You were like, hitting for sure. Why? Why do you love it so much? Everybody has their own reason. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like such a time where I get to be unapologetically myself and like everything that I am in the softball world is celebrated. You know, I'm strong, I'm smart, I'm methodical, I'm logical, you know, like all of these things that I love to be is celebrated when I step in that box, you know, like I hit the ball, like 300 feet and people are praising me. Right. Whereas every other aspect of my life when I was younger, like being strong, being hard headed, you know, being, um, unapologetic was not always celebrated. And that's who I was through and through. Like I was just like strong girl, like trying to fit in, in a world full of girls that did not look like me. And I finally felt that adrenaline rush whenever I had my first home run and it was in 10, no, either 10 you or 12 you. I can't, I think I'm pretty sure it was 12 you, but I was only 10 years old and I hit the ball and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that for the rest of my life. Like (laughs) that felt so good. I can't wait to like learn more about it. And then the next at bat, I went out and I struck out. And I think it was a moment where I realized, like, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. I need to, like, you know, practice a little bit more and understand. And so I had a conversation with my dad and he's like, if you really want to get into this, like, I was telling you about how he would quiz me all the time with my brother in the car about defense. Well, sometimes we would talk about it on the other end. We would do it on offense and we would talk about, you know, okay, if she goes um, screwball in curveball out, change up, down, where is she going? And like, I would have to give him a reason and like why I thought it would be this specific thing. And he'd be like, okay, well, if you say this, you're still right. If you say this, you're still right. But I want you to figure out like, what is she trying to make you do? Like, she's trying to slow you down to speed you back up. Or she's trying to jam you in so you freeze on the change up. You know, different things and different situations of pitch calling and hitting the mechanics of hitting 
And then just self-confidence, you know, it takes so much to be a good hitter, not because of the mechanical things, but because of the mindset and how truly just like on a mission you have to be, because it is so easy to let yourself crumble under all the pressure of a game that is supposed to make you fail. It's so funny because we hear it all the time. Like this game is a failure. You're not supposed to succeed three out of 10, blah, 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 blah. But like truly this game will test you to many lengths and it has, and I've always come out on the other side better for it. Mm-hmm. And I think as I grew, I began, began to love hitting even more because it's so complex and it's not as easy as just, you know, success looks like this, you know, it could look a multitude of different ways, but what feels best to me and yeah. who am I going to be that day? Who am I going to show up as we're going to find out, you know, mm-hmm. it definitely keeps you humble. That like your, sure. your home run, then strike out. <clears throat> I'm sure so many people have stories of like, you know, last game they hit the game winning home run or the game winning hit. And then the next game they don't get a single hit. It takes a lot of mental fortitude to be able to be like, okay, I did the job. Now I can't live in the high. I have to get back to where I was before I did the thing. And this is what like, you know, books like Mind Gym or Heads Up Baseball. I think you mentioned both of those last time, but there these are books that to help you like get back to, you know, the even keeled, ready to crush it like mentality. What is your or what do you think you believe are your strengths as a hitter? Like like when you go up in the box, this is what Tori is written down to know or to do. Um, so my strengths, I would say I definitely have very fast hands and I can hit any pitch you throw to me. So like if the setup is right, like most times I'm playing a game of chess with myself in my head about what I think they're going to throw, you know, what's their strength, what's their strikeout pitch, what do I hit well, what, what did I do the last at bat, you know, what did I do last game. What I do last week, like, especially with AU, it's, it's hard. Cause you get so into like, there's so many instances to use as like a sample size that it's hard to continuously play a game of chess that never ends. And it's also, what does the catcher like to call? Cause in AU, you know, we call our own game and in international, we call our own game. So the catchers, what are their um, inclinations? You know, what do they like to do? Do they like to jam you up? Do they like to freeze you with the change? Do they like to make you chase out of the zone? So I would say I have a good sense of, you know, having a plan of like what I want to do, whether it just be, I'm going to see a strike and I'm going to barrel a strike. It could be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be like, all right, I'm going to hit an outside pitch on a two, one count. And um, I'm going to hit it to right field and I'm going to get a double. Like that is just crazy to me that some people think like that because it works for some people. Like there's people at AU that are like, okay, She's going to go change up in, and then she's going to go curveball out on the river, and I'm going to swing at that pitch. And I'm like, girl, how did your brain just do that? My brain never does that. Can, my brain Some people hurt. are just analytical like that. Yes, like, they it's are. It's just and how they play. It is. And shout out to you if you are. Yeah. No, I mean, that's amazing. I wish I could do that because that means you have such a good grasp on the game and the pitcher and all these things and what you want to do. But so my strength is like, keeping it simple. Like I love to just go up there and be like, I'm just hit a ball that's over the plate. And that's all I have to tell myself. It could be a change up, rise ball, screw ball, curve ball, who doesn't matter. As long as it's over the plate, like I'm locked in. And I think that's one of my strengths is that I'm able to just keep things simple and not make it too complicated and trying to make this big 
extraordinary thing happen. Just like letting the game come to you, keeping it just like you did when you were 10. Mm-hmm. Just, you don't even know what a curveball is. You're just looking for that ball coming right over the plate. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is they have all these apps now where they're like, can you identify what the pitch is like early, mm-hmm. which I think I naturally figured out over time. But like, if someone were to, if someone were to ask me in that at bat, what pitches did you get? Like what four pitches did you get? I, it would, it would be hard for me to tell them because I'll be like, it was high and out. It was low and in because like, that's how simple I try to make it for myself too. I love that you're the same as me, but again, shout out to those people who like know this stuff early, but I think it was almost easier to play for me Mm, when it was just like, is it in my zone? (laughs) Like, or isn't it Um, it in this part? Cause I'm so I'm swinging. Yeah. yeah. And obviously like we train off of these machines that throw rise balls a lot so we can figure out how to get on top. But like when we can subconsciously know it's going up, we know how to get there because we've trained ourselves to do it. But I, I'm the same as you. I don't like to overthink. I just like to see it and hit it. You know, it's, it's interesting to me when I find people, and I think I actually used to teach this five years ago when I was a hitting coach, was like, hey, like first pitch, only if it's exactly where you want it, should you swing? Right. And like, now I'm thinking, you know, maybe we have one of the four zones that we don't really enjoy, <laughs> like right now. Like for me, it was low and out for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. But anything like, up or down and in, like I'm attacking those. I feel like right. if we expand our zone earlier, we can be so much more successful instead of getting behind an account where like pitchers are trying to get ahead. Like they're not trying to throw you balls. But I, I had a conversation with my friend Chris Vasami about this exact same thing. It's like, how about we expand that zone, especially in like fall ball? Like, are you kidding? We should not be walking <laughs> like that much. Like we should... No test our limits right now. We should really kind of like just get used to the zone and like maybe you go hard for that pitch that's, you know, three inches off the plate and you do barrel it up because you want it. Like you won't know until you are aggressive. Yeah. And it, even in AU, like there was a, a a quote going around or like a stat line going around from the announcers, which obviously I don't get to watch the game because I'm playing in it, but mm-hmm. it would say, you know, Vidalis loves swinging at that first pitch. And I'm like, do, do I? I? <laughs> I'm like, I do. And then I had to like go back in, in my head and be like, oh yeah, I do swing in a lot of first pitches, but it's because whenever I'm swinging at first pitches, I am, I'm in the zone, right? I'm feeling good. I'm seeing the ball well, but also it allows me to not think as much, right? I can go up there. I swing the first one. I either get a hit or I get out. There's literally no other options. So you're 50, 50 at this point, Mm -hmm. but it allows me to not get into a deep count to where I start stressing myself out of like, Oh my God, what is she going to throw me? Am I, am I going to strike out? Am I going to miss this ball? Am I going to dribble it to the pitcher? Like, you start self-sabotaging in your head and it happens to everyone. If you, if it doesn't happen to you, I need to know your secrets, but um, you don't allow yourself to strike out if you don't get in deep count. So I'm like, first pitch, like I'm here to hit, I'm ready to hit. Like mm-hmm. that's going to be the best pitch. I'm ready. I'm locked in. I'm going to swing. Set the tone. I mean, you go or hard, that. you completely miss it a ball, but you swing hard. Like that pitcher's a little intimidated. You know, like the, and I want to go back and just say like walking is not a bad thing by no, any means, not at all. but there's a time and a place, right? Like there's, there's nothing wrong with a great battle mm. and like you end up walking, but like, 
err on the side of aggressiveness. We talk about it all the time and you have to do that as a hitter. Especially so situations I, that are in high pressure. Yeah. You know, like yeah. fall ball, scrimmages, all of these things. Why not? Test your limits because Why if not? you ball that's three inches off, now you have three more inches of plate coverage that you didn't know you had. Yeah. And now you can extend it two more inches. See how far you can test yourself off the plate because realistically, no one's going to throw you a ball down the middle of the plate unless it's a mistake, of course. And as you get older and older, the less sweet those pitches become Mm -hmm. when they're um, supposed to be there. And you can get better and better each year. The more you can cover here, the more they're going to have to start going here. Yeah. And the more they're focused on this, the more they miss here. By the way, for those who don't know what here is, she was saying side to side. So side to side, then they're going to have to start going up and down. They start going up and down. And a lot of times when you're younger, obviously I'm not a pitcher. So any pitchers feel free to correct me. But if my brain is thinking about, okay, I need to get this high enough so that she can't hit it. I'm not worried as much about like how much plate it's getting. I'm worried about get it high enough. So if your brain's focused on getting it high enough, you're probably going to leave it right over the middle of the plate. And if Rasmus is your strength, boom, mm-hmm. that's a hit right there. Yeah. And you just said it. The pitcher is now putting their thoughts on like what, what you are doing instead of like play to your strengths. This is like mm-hmm. the whole reason why I asked you this question. Like you are so good at playing to your strengths. Like, yeah. yes, you don't even know you go for that many first pitches, but that's because you know what you want early. Like, you yeah. know, that you are going to swing aggressive and you're going to do it from the get-go. Like, that's your game. And everybody, I, if you're listening, I want you to think of, like, what is your strength? Like, what is the thing that makes you unique? Because I've talked to so many hitters on this podcast and I've gotten different answers from every single hitter. <laughs> so the more you know yourself, the more you know your strengths, and the more you play to those strengths, the more successful you're going to be. 100%. Now, can I reverse the question and say, Ooh. when you're not, Playing to your strengths, yeah. Or when things aren't going well, like what's going on in your brain, and how do you get yourself out of it? I think for me, it, uh, this is actually very relevant because it just happened in AU, like, and post college, I feel like I lost my swing a lot, and that was due to you know a lack of reps or as many reps as I was taking in college because in college you're hitting like hundred hours, yeah, balls a day, you know, and in in post-college life pro you're only training like you know if you're lucky an hour a day maybe an hour every two days three days so you're not getting as much time because you know this whole life thing that we have to do too it's kind of like yeah and you had a hitting coach and you had managers throwing you reps all the time yeah yeah um so a lot of it was i just lost my pattern of movement and like i mentioned earlier is we know that our body knows what to do, but sometimes our brain starts to like interfere and tell us these things that, Oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. Well, mine was not doing something that I was so used to doing that. So uh, for me, what I do is I wrap my back and it's always worked for me. And that's why my hands were so fast because my body naturally goes back away to kind of load up. And then when I unwind, I use my hips, but my, my back and my shoulders are rotating so fast that I'm like whipping through the zone. So if you mm-hmm. take a picture of my bat, it's, it disappears like back yeah. here around my shoulder. 
So when I wasn't on, I think one of the things that caused me to lose a little bit of that was I was using a one piece bat. So, you know, when you move to pro, they have a pro bat, they have a college bat, and then they have like ASA bat. I don't even know what it is, but so, you know, there's different levels. So when you graduate, I'm like walking in with my little, I don't even remember what was it Rawlings at the time from college. So I'm like walking in with my little Rawlings and all these girls are grown women, I should say, are launching these balls. And I'm like, is the ball going to do that for me? Like, I don't know. We're, we're going to see. So I start hitting the ball and I realize, oh my gosh, this ball is not going anywhere. Are these dead? Are these waterlogged? Like I was like blaming the balls. I'm like, this cannot be right. And the girls start telling me, you know, are you using a college bat or are you using a pro bat? And I'm like, what do you mean a pro bat? Like, I didn't know these things existed. Yeah. Yeah. I have to get a pro bat. I was like, okay. So I figure out how to get a pro bat and the ball is jumping (laughs) off of this bat. Let me tell you, but it was a one piece and the one piece has a lot less flexion in the middle half of the bat from where the grip is connected to the barrel. Um, So if it's all one piece for me, it doesn't get as much like whip and flexibility through that zone. So it kind of took away the speed of my hands. So for about a year and a half, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was like, okay, my hips are right. My timing's on. I'm choosing good pitches. Why do I feel like I'm getting jammed on the inner half? Because the inner half is my jam. Like if you throw in the inner half, it's going over the fence. Mm -hmm. And I was getting stuck and stuck. I was hitting dribblers to third baseman. You know, I was trying to open my stance a little bit so I could give myself room to get through. And me and my dad went back after one of our tournaments with Mexico and we were like, what is going on? So we watched some of my old film and he was like, you know, something that you always did that you haven't been doing lately. And I was like, no, what? Like, I'm like, I know everything. And he's like, you used to wrap your barrel around. And I almost have like a little bit of a hitch whenever I load because my foot comes down, but my arm is still moving backwards to create that whip. And when I was using the one piece, I didn't have as much flexion. So my bat was having to come out and around the ball instead of turning and getting my hands inside the ball and through the ball. Mm. So when, when I changed to a two piece bat, I felt so fast through the zone and it was like, my swing just like clicked back to where it was in college. And I was like, Oh, what? Guess who's back. I'm like, (laughs) are you kidding me? Like that's the whole, the whole, like almost two years. I'm like, that's what it was. Are you serious? And so I started doing that. And the whole time I'm like telling myself, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be a pro. Maybe I like, shouldn't be doing all these things. Like maybe I shouldn't. And then I'm like, as soon as that happened, I'm like, why would I ever tell myself that? Because I was failing. Like my failure does not take away from everything I've already accomplished thus far in my life. Like I knew at, it was like almost like the light at the end of the tunnel. I knew that as long as I could get there, everything else wouldn't matter. Like the journey I know is supposed to be really fun and like all of this stuff, embrace the journey, do like enjoy the process. Like sometimes the process sucks and that's okay, but it has to be that mental like strength pushing you through just like it would be for anything else but like you can literally talk yourself in and out of a slump 
And regardless of what people think, like slumps are real, slumps aren't real. Slumps are real because mentally you feel that. And like, it doesn't only stay up here. It becomes like your body language. It becomes you not being excited for after the game and hanging out with your friends and, you know, all of the social interactions, it starts to drain you. And at the end of the tunnel, you're like, why did I let myself get so upset over that? Because I didn't get a hit. Are you kidding me? Like, my parents still love me. My friends still love me. I'm still an incredible softball player. I've still done X, Y, and Z. And like, that's why I'm good. That's why I deserve to be here. But so often we think that the struggle defines us when at the end, like at the end of the day, it's what you got to, what was your end point? And like, you struggled through all of that so you could be here. And as a hitter, like you have to get better with every slump because each time you go through that, you realize like there's so much bigger things to be worried about other than what's my batting average right now. Mm -hmm. What's my on base percentage. So I feel like every time I go through a slump, it gets shorter because I put into perspective what really matters. And usually it's not getting hits. That is not my success marker in life. And it shouldn't be your success marker in life. Yes. You have four years in college. Yes. You want to be an all American. Yes. You want to be great. But like, at the end of the day, like you still have to go through your four years of college and experience it. And whether you're not an all American does not define that experience. Like you can still have fun and still be one of the greatest and not be an all American. Thank you. I needed to hear that. I was never that (laughs) period. Like that doesn't mean that like you were a terrible softball player. It's like, look at how many talented softball players there are in like NCAA alone. And that's not to mention yeah. like NAIA, JUCO, like all of these things. Like the these athletes are good, but that doesn't make you any less better. Yeah. It and makes you good men- also, period. Yeah. You mentioned that last time because you've you're a two-time All-American. Mm-hmm. And the best year you had, you did not get All-American. Oh, it was terrible for me. Like it was my worst year, but I would do it all over again. And like people always say that. And like I would trade my accolades for a national championship. And at the end of the day, I would. Because mm-hmm. regardless, I would have still done the same things. I would have still like made the same relationships. I would have probably had better relationships because I would have been struggling and I would have been like, please help me, please help me. But, you know, doing all of these things, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like mm-hmm. as long as we're healthy and we're happy and we have people that we love and that love us, like that's why I always like preach finding what you love outside of softball, because at the end of the day, like the cleats are going to come off and what are you going to have to show for it? Mm-hmm. Are you going to just like think about softball all day, every day? If you do, that's awesome. But there <laughs> are way more things in life. There's places to experience people to meet, like things to love. And that's the beautiful thing is like, we're doing this because we want to do it. Like, because I love this game, not because I want to be the best there ever was. And like, everyone remember me, would that be cool? Absolutely. But is that going to be my deciding factor of what I gave to the game? Absolutely not. It could never be. Yeah. So how much of like, you've mentioned that you wanted to win a national championship like four times already today. How much did that dictate how you trained from, let's just say from like a hitting perspective? Um, From hitting perspective. So we actually had a new hitting coach that came in my freshman year, Jerry Glasgow. And it was nice because we came in at the same time. So we kind of got to learn each other at the same pace. Like, okay, how is he teaching? How am I receiving? What like words or keywords work for me? And he did a lot of things that I like 
didn't realize that I was good at. And so Mm -hmm. it made me realize like, oh my God, I kind of do know what I'm talking about. Like we would do all sorts of machines. So we would do like screwball, curveball, change up. Eventually we got the one that like you you load the sequence in already and then you just put the balls in and it changes each one. So if you're not there when they're programming it, you have no idea what's coming. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it was just, you know, going through practices, reading spins, reading the break of the ball, exaggerating things. So making the pitch like 80 miles an hour or, um, we, there was one point where he made these like boxes and put turf on top of them. And we stood on top of that platform and it was a big platform. So we had plenty of room, but it was a little scary. Um, so we would stand on the platform and he would have the machine on the ground and he would be trying to recreate Alexis Osorio's rise ball. Jeez. And you know it jumps so much when he was like, well, if we're already up there, like we're going to, if we can't, uh, if we can't not swing at it, we're going to learn how to hit it. So Mm -hmm. that's what we did. We practiced it. He would turn it up to like 80 miles an hour. And you're like, I know this sounds insane, but we just learned how to hit it. I don't know. And we actually did see like some success over that, like those methods. And when we were training, I think more of it for me came off on like outside of softball, like more on like social side and all that, because I knew what the end goal was, but I would say in softball, it wouldn't have made me work any less hard if I knew that I wasn't going to win because Mm -hmm. I don't regret anything that I did in college. Like I worked my butt off every day to not only make sure that I was getting better, but also that like our team was getting better and like our communication was better or whatever it may be. Obviously there's some days like you're like having drama or whatever, but it's so important to realize that like at the end of the day, you all have one common goal. Nobody wants to come and be like, no, I don't, I don't think I want to win a national championship. Like, man, I'm good. Everybody is there fighting for that goal. And I think you see it throughout the year. And that's why colleges work so hard is because they have this end goal. Whereas now pro, right. You don't have that end goal. The end goal is being the champion of the season. So I think the goals always change how hard you work. Shouldn't. Yeah. Regardless if you meet the goal or not. It sounds like the secret sauce was though training in an environment extreme, like way harder than anything you'll ever face. Like so hard to where like you go against Cesario and you're like, oh, this is easy. You're like, practice was so hard. That is is legitimately what he said he wanted to happen. Like he's like, I want you guys to come on the bus afterwards and be like, that's it. Yeah. Like, well, okay. Calm your horses. I don't think we'll be saying that about her rise ball, but anyways. Yeah. But yeah. So just ex- like extreme level of training with him. But then on the flip side, my senior year, we had a new coach come in. Um, coach Glasgow went to Auburn and then ULL. So he's at ULL now, but um, our coach Keith Stein came in and we had known him from, uh, you know, some of the summer camps he did. He played baseball at AM you know, a lot of things that we had run into him over the course of our careers there. And he was very much like, whatever works for you works for you. Like we're going to find your swing and make your swing the best that you can do. Never like, I want everyone to swing this one way because that's kind of how Glasgow was on the other side. He wanted everyone to swing the same way to maximize power. 
And like people like me, who I already kind of swung the way that he wanted us to swing, it was a lot easier for me. But someone like one of my best friends, Erica Russell, who is 5'3", plays center field and is faster than most people, you know, she's not going to be as successful as someone like me who's like literally been training their whole life to get the ball in the air and out of the park. Whereas she's been training, you know, put the ball on the ground, run it out, put the ball in the gap, uh, like use your legs. So I think you saw a little bit um, more flourishing on that sense of like specific players doing a lot better when they were just being able to swing the way that they wanted to swing in a more efficient way rather Mm -hmm. than all trying to swing one specific way. Yeah. And you're built different. So it requires yeah, everyone's different. built different. We all have different swings, different mentalities, you know, it all factors in. Yeah. Okay. So I want to dive into like a typical BP session for yourself. Okay. You can go mm-hmm. like now ish. I'm yeah. sure there are things in college that you still do, but like, do you have signature drills that you're doing every day? If so, what are they? Like you introduced me to this toe tap drill, like when we were working for the package deal and I still have my players use it to this day. Cause it's so good about creating that strong and stiff back leg that's ready to like launch. But like, what stuff are you doing? Is it something that like you specifically do? I'm sure people on your team don't do the exact same thing. Like, why did you choose this? routine for yourself. Yeah. I actually have never been like a big drill person or a big, yeah. like, I'm going to do this drill to fix this. And like, we kind of talked about that, like growing up, um, we had a cage in our backyard, which probably was the best thing my parents could ever do. Um, and my dad was my hitting coach and he gave lessons in the backyard. So I would kind of like jump in and be one of his lessons and we would just hit front toss for like the whole time because ever since I was younger, like we worked so specifically on the right mechanics of like the way your body like needs to move, right. Your hips go and then your shoulders and then your hands, all these things. So I didn't know how to pull a ball until well into like two, three years of a softball because my dad knew that I was such a strong kid And especially being that age, he was like, I know she's strong and I know she can pull it. But I, he was like telling me essentially that he wanted to build my foundation of the swing before he let my body move the way that it wanted to. So we learned how to get inside the ball. I would hit everything to the right side. If you played a right side shift on me, you could probably get me out. And so one day he walked up to me, we were in our, uh, our world series of our 10 U team. Mm. Don't go too crazy. But so he walked up to me, he said, okay, I know we've been working on this, but I want you to hit the ball as hard as you can right here. And I said, okay. And like, not even thinking anything of it. And the next pitch I went up and my dad almost turned me around to be a slapper. Let that just be of note because that would have been very interesting as I got older. So (laughs) I go up to the plate and I hit the ball off the top of a fence that was 225 left center. And he looks, he literally stopped and he said he looked up at my mom and she looked down at him because he was like kind of down towards the dugout. And they were both just like eyes wide open, like mouths like, oh, okay, maybe we're not going to switch her over to the left side. (laughs) And um, from that day on, we really worked on 
um, just seeing how the ball comes off the bat. Like, okay, what are certain things that you're doing that you're feeling, um, how your, your barrel is connecting with the ball? What positions are your hand in? What about your hips? Did you start early? Did you start late? And that's how I learned how to hit was seeing the ball off the bat and like the ball will tell you everything that you're doing. You just have to know what it means, right? If the ball is slicing, it probably means you're pulling off of that outside pitch a little bit, right? If the ball is bouncing into the ground, it means you're on top of the ball. So learning these things from a young age, I feel like gave me such good um, understanding of like what my body was doing, the body awareness that it takes to be an elite hitter. And also like learning, you know, contact points, like simple things like, okay, what about if I try to hit this ball back here, if I try to hit it inside ball back here, what would it do? And like, my dad would ask me these questions and I would say, I don't know. And he'd be like, all right, try it. And so I would have to try it and fail so that I could actually learn how to do it right. And that has really carried over into my career as a whole. I'm a very quality over quantity person. I'm not the kind of girl that's going to sit there and hit four buckets. Just can't do it. One, I'll be out of breath. Two, I hit myself into bad habits. Mm. So I know that that is a thing for me. Like if I start getting tired and like I'm done with the session, like my brain and my body like don't work together anymore. They just kind of do their own thing. And I'll start dropping my hands. I'll start, you know, having a big leg kick, which I don't really. And I'm doing anything that I can to get my body through the training session. Whereas my mind has been checked out for like 20 minutes. So yeah, no one to stop. Yeah. So that is a big thing. I just, I literally just love front toss. So my dad and I will go, I'll stretch out my back a little bit because my back is such a main factor of my swing. I will, you know, throw my bat in a circle, you know, give it a little arm swings and we'll hit on the tee. We'll do probably like 10, 12 balls inside, outside, or we start middle, we go outside, inside. And then sometimes if we're feeling crazy, we'll do some high tee as well. And then we just throw front toss for like 30 minutes and we're like working. I tell him what I want to feel and like what I want to work on. And then he kind of just keeps an eye out, watches the ball, listens to the way the ball comes off the bat, because that's also a big indicator. And from there, we just work on it. And I keep notes in my phone of like, okay, last session I worked on this. How did I feel? Do I like want to keep doing this? And I can go back to it and revisit it that next time and be like, okay, so last week we worked on, um, you know, getting my foot down and my cues were, um, you know, stay on time or halfway home or something like that. That way, whenever that starts happening again, because it's inevitable, it's going to happen. It's muscle memory. He can say, Hey, halfway home. And I immediately know what that means. And I, I know how to fix it and I can make my body do it as well as my mind. What does that mean? What is this happening? What does halfway home mean? Um, like when the ball's halfway home, your foot and your Get it down. Heel should be down. Got so it. that is like a good measure of like knowing if I'm on time or I if I'm behind or if I'm early, if I'm reaching. So, wow. It sounds like just like staying curious yeah, and understanding is. your body and what it does. Like these are, it, it's so funny because like I expected to talk about drills and you're like, no, it's about feel. And it, it truly isn't. It's funny because like you, Sometimes I listen to MLB players like post game interviews because like they're everywhere. And like I'm thinking of Chris Bryant right now or Chris Bryant. Oh my God. 
Bryce Harper, Bryce not Harper. Chris Bryant. And I know, and I know he plays for the Phillies, and you're an Astros fan, but. I mean, he had that super clutch home run to put them up by one in the final game to get them to the World Series. And I listened to his interview and he said, um, I wasn't trying to do too much in that situation. He's like, the guy on first is fast. I was trying to hit it to the opposite gap. And that was his plan. And what does he do? He rocks it to the opposite gap, but like way in the stands. Yeah. And it's a home run and they win the game and they're now at the World Series. But like, it had like if you don't know your swing and you don't know what that ball that you're trying to make happen feels like, you can't recreate it. Yeah. And so it also, sounds like your training is just recreating good feeling. Yes. The the feeling aspect of it. Like when you're tense and when you're tight, there's no way you're gonna hit a home run. Like, no way. Because your body, like your muscles work so much better and like your, your torque works better. Your breathing is better when you're relaxed. The moment you start to tense up, like if you've ever been in a home run derby contest, right? The point mm-hmm. is to get it out and everyone gets so tight and rolls over, hits the ball to shortstop or is lifting the ball so high in the, in the center field and nothing goes over. It's because you're tense, your muscles are tight. You're not giving yourself the same range of motion that you would have when you're calm. You're just having a smooth swing. We always would say smooth swing is a fast swing. Mm -hmm. And that's so true because you can't swing fast if you're not smooth, but you can swing fast when you are. Yeah. Okay. So you have a few minutes before you have this call, but remind people where they can find you to obviously I would say if you haven't listened to the first episode of Tori, go listen. Because yeah, we that. talk about so many other things, you know, just like your Olympic story and you know, finding who you are outside of softball. I think those are such good points. Um so if you love Tori, go listen to that. But you love hanging out on Instagram, right? Yeah, I would say Instagram is my main like platform that I post a lot on. If you think I'm crazy, I'm probably more crazy on my Instagram. Um, feel free, <laughs> but, um, all my socials are at Vidalis Tori. So you can find me TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm all over socials. I love it. Send me I love your goofy self on socials. So yes, go follow tour. Um, you got a minute for five to thrive. Of course. All right, let's do this. These are different questions than last time. Okay, I get there. They might be harder. They might be easier. I don't know. Um, The first one's easy. Astros or Phillies? Astros. (laughs) And if you're a hater and you hate the Astros, that sounds like a personal problem. (laughs) Well, I mean, they did get caught cheating. So, like, how how are you? If you're a real baseball fan, you know every team is like essentially doing the same thing. And they're right. They got caught. You're not wrong. The Yankees got caught too, but they swept it under the rug. Just saying. All right. I just wanted to know how you felt about that. Do you have a favorite college memory? College memory, probably the 2017 Super Regional when we won at Tennessee to go to the World Series. Probably like top 10 moments of actually like top five moments of my entire life. So much fun. Everything paid off. It was amazing. So cool. So cool. Uh, You're super into makeup. What's your favorite makeup product right now? Right now, honestly, I'm loving mascara because (laughs) I had lash extensions for a little while while I was on TV because it was a little bit easier. And I, my poor lashes, they were so bad. They looked like a little baby chicken. Like it was was really bad. And so I bought this eyelash serum and I've been using it and I 
told Kendall, my roommate, the other day, I was like, do my lashes look kind of long? And she's like, actually, they do, because her lashes are really long. And so I was like, oh, my God, I'm looking like you. So I've been, like, putting just, like, a tad bit of mascara on, and I feel like it just looks, like, so chic. I'm sorry. When you said baby chicken, I lost everything after that. Literally, (laughs) I looked like, imagine a baby chicken coming out of the egg and just being, like, so disoriented, not knowing how to walk. That was, like, what my eyelashes were giving that moment. Just like uh, air everywhere is no, it's bad. Okay, so we're into lashes. All right, who is your favorite hitter beside yourself? Ooh, that's a good one. Oh my god, thank you. Favorite hitter besides myself? Um, I would say favorite like person to watch probably Jesse Warren. Like she mm. is so such a bad ball hitter. I've never seen anyone hit balls out of the zone as hard as she does and it's actually amazing to watch like i'm at first base and i'm like okay yeah she like throws her barrel and it goes over the over the i literally refer to her a lot in my lessons because you know some of the best hits we ever have are so dysfunctional like the swing is just crap but she i'm not saying she has a crappy swing but she when you say she throws her barrel like there are times where i think it was in the world series like low and out pitch she just kind of like Chucks her over, barrel at it, sticks yeah. her butt out, and just flips. And just her it goes, and you're just like, that's how easy the swing is. Like we make it, yeah, so we do. And- we make it so complicated. Yeah, we, we do. Ah, oh, okay. Sure. Last question: What would you tell a hitter who's currently in a slump right now? What should she do? Don't base your success on the outcome of the play. So you could barrel up a ball and have the best hit that you've had in three weeks and it goes right to someone and you still feel like you're in that slump. If you're like barreling up balls, there's no way that you should go to the dugout ever and feel bad about yourself or feel bad about what could I have done? You did everything you needed to do. You hit the ball hard, you hit the ball, like you were on time. All of these things have to line up for it to come off the barrel that fast. You just happen to hit it. Someone who was standing in the right place. So um, biggest thing is just keep swinging, keep swinging and don't rely on a hit in the book to tell you that you're a good hitter. You have to believe that you're a good hitter and you have to just keep swinging and not let it affect you so much to where you start to hate the game. Cause I've seen that happen a lot. Like people start to say, I hate softball. I want to quit because they can't get a hit. But the more fun thing is staying in it, saying how, powerful your mind can become when you start to use it in a way that benefits you instead of against you. Boom. Mic drop. That was such an incredible answer. You're an incredible human. I love you so much. I love you. I love talking softball with you. You're the best. I think your family's going to enjoy this episode listening to it. Shout out mom. Cause they're the first ones to listen to every episode you are on. So let's go. Yeah. If you try to beat them to it. Well, I love you so much. Thank you so much for coming on again. You're Words. You're the goat for a reason. Ugh, I appreciate you. You're too sweet to me. Thank you so much. Love you lots. I told you you'd love Tori even more after this conversation. We actually recorded this as the World Series was just beginning, and she's a huge Astros fan, as you figured that out. So shout out to her Astros who won the World Series. I know 
Amanda Scarborough, who is also an Aggie. She's also very excited because she's from Texas and has been rooting for them since basically she was born. But wow, that was a crazy World Series. Anywho, if you enjoyed this conversation and learned even the slightest bit of something here, I guarantee you a teammate of yours or a friend of yours can definitely learn from it as well. I challenge you to share this with at least one friend or share it on your social media. You never know who wants to listen and learn a little bit more about first base. I used to not even play it. And now I can't imagine my career without that position. Again, from a hitting perspective, I just love, I love her take on how she's more about feel than anything. Like she literally said when she would hit in the cage with her dad, it's just, they just toss and they just feel and they just talk about what the swing feels like. And I think that's a really cool takeaway that we haven't spent a whole lot of time on the podcast talking about. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. Don't forget to stay humble, stay awkward, and keep working your tail off for those big goals of yours because they're closer than you think. All right. See you next week. Bye.